This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Interesting about today's episode, I ran across today's guest on Instagram. He just published Content Mapping, and that's an interesting book. You have to think about what are you going to do with your content? What's the goal? What is the goal? Because it, it is easy just to get in there and just to crank out content after content after content. I've been there, too. I've already published, I don't know, 20-some thousand words this month alone on um, on my blog, and I, you know, I'm not intending to stop anytime soon to share stuff that I think people care about. But how do I map it? I'm trying to set up here so I can bring them on the screen. Um, how do I? Let's talk about it. Let's get it. Let's get him out of the green room here. Henry Adasso from Houston, Texas. Henry, how's it going today? Great to be with you, Christoph. Good morning. How are you? Hanging in there. Definitely bright and early. Um, if you're watching on the live stream, there's no there's no uh, daylight yet. So hopefully the camera here does the trick for me. You look great, of course. Uh, but tell us about the book, Content Mapping. We got the link in the show notes. We got the, the product featured on, on the Amazon Live. Uh, what prompted you to write it? Why is it important for content marketers? Thank you. Great question. So I think um, we've gotten into this uh, habit of creating a lot of content uh, in, in, just to sur- survive, just to get attention. Uh, as more and more people enter the marketplace, as it gets more crowded, we feel more pressure to create even more content to rise above the noise level. And, and I think what's been lost in that transition is the value of specificity, the value of uh, really stopping and, and considering the, the context and scenario of the people that we're trying to reach. So that's why this book um, really tries to break down in, in, in a sort of practical step-by-step guide how to map your content, not just to all customers, but to the people, the specific people that you're trying to reach uh, in in their moment of need. In the, in their moment of need, and of course, that is the key word, quite frankly, uh, you know, what are you offering them? What can they use? What do they need? But but let's back up for a second. You talk about, um, you know, we're always in the content creation mode. And, and I know why. Because creating content is feels better than updating content. It does, right? Like, we're busy, man. We're writing. We're doing podcasts. We're live. Hey, did, hey, Henry, did I tell you? We're live on, like, eight channels, man. Like, you know, it feels good, man. We're, we're creating, right? And that's, I think, why that is. But here's the reality. And, I, and then I'll let you jump back in on, on, on what your thoughts on the topic are. But, but here's the thing. I published an article yesterday, 1,800 words. And I maybe wrote 100 words new. And I actually cut. 500 words because I had a topic and I had all this content that wasn't performing from five years ago. And guess what? It's not going to start performing today until I give it some love and attention, you know? So I just updated it. I cut 500 words. So instead of creating more content, I actually cut some content. But how do we, how do people get that in their mind? How do we even start to map our content in a more efficient way? 
That is such a great point, uh, Christoph, because you know, you're absolutely right. We don't always have to create it from scratch. We can recycle and reuse our content and I'll give it that safe, that facelift, make it more relevant. Um, you know, the, I, I use the term rearranging furniture, which is kind of what we have to do sometimes with the content to move it around and, and, and put it in different perspectives. So with content mapping, you know, one of the steps in, in, in the process is to audit your content library. So that means taking a look at uh, your your not just your website content, but the testimonials that you're generating from customers, old content from years ago, your white papers, your blog posts. And what you're trying to do is to find the relevant content, to find the content that's going to move people to take action. So sometimes you don't necessarily need to create all of it from scratch, but you can take a look inside your own library and you can find the right content for the right people. And so when you talk about that, do you, uh, I mean, do we need to do a content audit or can it be more um, organic? So for here's the example, here's how I think about it. So, so when I go in and I do a content audit, like I look at every page, you know, everything, like this is whatever, blah, blah, blah. And of course, sometimes content strategists will, will judge content, you know, and they'll say, oh, this is above average or whatever. And I'm like, it's totally... I mean, that's your opinion, you know? It's not like, how do you know? And so I do that too. And sometimes when I read old content, I think, oh my God, what a bunch of crap. Who, why did I, who wrote this? Oh, I did. Oh my goodness. But, you know, I just update it, right? Like, I, it's okay. But I kind of stopped doing that, especially because there's just so much content for a lot of sites, even when they don't have a good content strategy. So what I do now is, I create a new strategy or I create, you know, whatever, if they don't have one. And then I go in and I find the content that we have and we can repurpose. Or if we're creating something along those lines, I'll just update it. You know, I'll use that content. So what's what's the, the advantages, disadvantages to do either one? More um, build it as you fly the plane, I guess, versus let's rip it all up and, and go from there. The more traditional content strategy approach. So I, I, I think you can, do, you can do a little bit of both, but the real value is in identifying that content gap and identifying the need. And in order for us to do that, we have to first get very clear about who we're trying to reach, and number one. And then we have to understand where they are in their buying journey. What is it that they're, what problem are they trying to solve? Um, are, are they shopping just to kind of look around for now? Are they ready to buy or are they looking at a list of options and considering different brands? And when we, under <laughs> we understand the people we're trying to reach, where they are in their buying journey, what problems they're trying to solve, then we can start to generate the right content for them and then take it to them in the, in the medium that they prefer. So some customers may want to be uh, consuming content on social media. Others may not be on social media at all. Maybe they prefer email. So I think understanding, getting clear about who we're trying to, to serve, getting clear about where they are in their buying journey uh, really helps us focus and, and hone in on the right content uh, and, and whether we repurpose that content or, or not. Because in that, in that moment, maybe we realize that, look, we have a white paper from years ago that, that, we, that would, be, would help us make a strong argument to this customer so let's go ahead and dust that off and use that in our in our prospecting or in our content. 
So that, that, that the number one thing is we have to get very, very specific about the people that, that we're trying to reach. Yeah. And so let's talk about the specificity. I mean, I, I work with teams and they say, oh, we're reaching the chief information officer or the chief marketing officer or chief whatever. But as long as it has a chief in front of it, that's who we're trying to reach. And what's interesting to me in B2B, uh, Henry, is uh, B2B, everything gets bought for the most part in um, in committees. Do you know what I mean? Like even though if the chief whatever has the power to sign the contract, other people have input. In fact, I remember I was working on a project and I swear the the specialist, like I don't know how many levels that's even down, made the actual decision. You know, I never, you know, so so if I didn't convince her, the chief, whatever, was never going to sign anything. But yet I see many strategies where what they do is they say, we're we trying to reach the chief, whatever, because that's who has the budget. And I get it. But from a content perspective, you got to convince a bunch of other people as well. So how do you come? I mean, do you agree with that, first of all? Absolutely. Absolutely. I call them uh, the family. So, yeah, they, they buy as a family in B2B. Um, and, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. So how, how do I consolidate the audiences? I mean, to talk to if something that CX to a specialist or maybe it's not. Maybe I'm over yeah. many people are overthinking it. No, well, well, it is different, Christoph, you know, and, and I think what we have to start to, to recognize first and foremost is that whether we're selling to B2B or B2C, we're still selling to people at the end of the day. Um, Carla Johnson was on your, on your podcast earlier. And I love what she said about, about customers and how we don't walk around segmenting ourselves into B2C and B2C customers. Uh, so at the end of the day, people are people and people... Um, we have a lot more in common that we realize we, we respond to a lot of the same, same contextual clues. So in the B2B scenario, what we have to do is really understand who are the key decision makers, who are the people that are looking out for self versus the people who are looking out for the good of the company or the product. And we want to try to reach those people the people who are looking out for the company, let's reach out to them, but we have to tailor the messaging to their specific interests. So in, in a, for example, if you're selling uh, to a B2B customer who to reach both the procurement people and the operations people, well, they, they care about different things. Procurement wants to make sure that we're getting quality uh, for for a good price, and that we're getting the sort sort of product that will that will last and that will maintain uh, the reputation of the company. Maybe operations is more concerned about safety, right? About how this impacts the people using the equipment. So what we have to do is is show the math to the procurement person, and then show the safety specs to the operations person, and and that will resonate with them. Uh, in ways that they care about, so that's how we can we can use specificity in our model to to generate interest from the right people. So what's interesting about that uh, comment too about specificity is, um, or or the different audiences. So I think of it as um, you, you know this is where you start with your content, and then you circle out and you go and you go out further and further. Um, I mean, you don't want to go too far, but you see it all the time. Companies. They need something to talk about. So now we're back to the whole content production 
comment, I suppose. But at the end of the day, if I address all those things on different in different journeys of the content um, that I'm creating, uh, I mean, it, it's still it's still a lot of creation. It's still a lot of you know, here you got to answer this question, here you got to answer that question. And maybe, I don't know if that's why people struggle with it sometimes, because when I grew up in marketing way back when, we don't want to tell anybody how old I am here, but way back in the day, we did one marketing piece, right? One. And sometimes it's a trifold brochure. Oh my God, I haven't seen one of those in a while. Thank you. Uh, thank God for that. But um, but at the end of the day, you had one shot. When I have to reach all these different people, I just create different pieces of content in different stages, right? I mean, that's in theory how it could work. Yes, and and you know, you, you mentioned the trifold brochure, and the beauty of technology is that we can now do the same thing at scale, and we can do it with with, um, with more convenience than we could in the past. So there are ways to combine the messaging, even if you're trying to reach different audiences. And, and there are ways to also customize the messaging. So for example, you can use email, you can set up different workflows if you're, if you're using email in your marketing to try to reach different audiences. But at the end of the day, as we gain more access to technology and as, as technology starts to impact marketing more, people do expect this level of customization, right? So they do expect us to know more about them because they're giving us their data and we have the tools to do the work. So if we're not meeting those needs, we can easily get shown the door. So I think, I think it kind of goes both ways in that we have to do these things to be more effective, but that people also expect it. Um, I, I heard a story about a company that was selling, um, I think they were selling clothing for to, to men and women. And you know, they would just send these recommendations for women's clothing to some of their male customers. And it, it was one of those things that, yes, it takes a little bit more work to set it up and configure, but people do expect to receive uh, messaging and, and marketing that is specifically them. Uh, and that's how we resonate today. Well, certainly it has evolved quite a bit. I mean, the personalization, I still remember, you know, we had a dog and I don't know what year he died. I want to say maybe 2015, 16, some, something like that, you know, a few years ago. Uh, but for a couple of years after, I still got the email from a vet that I went to a couple of times and did not even recently wishing me a happy birthday to my, my dead dog, you know, because all they were measuring is, or they knew, or the, all they used for the personalization is you know, the birth date of my dog or the birth month or whatever. And, you know, they didn't know that he had died. So, uh, and I have plenty of other examples I've shared before where personalization just doesn't work. So is it, when I can notice that something is personalized, that's typically not a good thing, right? Or, I mean, do you notice good personalization? Yeah, so I think when you notice that it's personalized, it's probably not a not not a great thing, right? Because then you feel like you're being you're you're a, a number on this list, and that's you know there's a token that's been inserted, and you've been you've been manipulated some way. So that's not the best use of personalization. I think the best use is when it's useful for us as a customer, right? When we need something and we we get the answer right when we need that thing. That's when we're very happy to to have the co content personalized. But if it's a uh, if it seems transactional, it's not a great use of personalization, and, and that's different from what what we need to do to get results. Um, so I think, for example, you have a there's an example in the book about a, a shopper who's looking for to 
to, to buy a mattress, right? And and doesn't know it yet because right now he's only looking online for back pain remedies. If you have content that serves that person to say, look, you know, there's this white paper and it shows the link between your, your mattress and the back pain. Um, now you've given them some value. You've provided them with information that helps them identify the actual need before they're even, they, they're even on the market to be your customer. And the good news is that when they finally understand and they feel empowered enough to make that decision, they're probably going to think of you because you gave them content that, that answered the question that was pressing on their mind. So I think it, it, it really boils down to how we personalize and what kind of content uh, we're sharing and, you know, for being transactional versus actually genuinely trying to add value to that person. Yeah, absolutely. It is about adding something that has value to to your consumers. So you can't just be, you know, hammering them with crappy offers and, and annoying offers that they don't want anything to do with at that time. So how about the the cycle, though? So if I'm thinking about how long does it actually take for something to take off or something to to work? You know, uh, I mean, Michelle Garrett, she was on the show and she talked about um uh, and she talked about how um, it, it takes like 12 months or maybe it was 22 months for some B2B keywords to rank, you know, um, or it's a few months in B2B, B2C. So it takes time, right? It takes time. Yeah. So how do yeah. We, and then the other thing is, and then I think it was Chris, what's his, uh, Chris Daly. He said, if you're selling anything for over 50 bucks on your website, don't expect people to convert unlike the, the the first couple tries. And so, of course, Amazon is a little bit different, right? I mean, at the bottom of this stream, we have your book, we have my book, we have my chair, which you can't see. We got the microphone, which is like 65 bucks. And so people click on clicked on your book, people clicked on the microphone. Some people might buy it. But if all those things were 1500 bucks, they wouldn't buy it on their first click. Right. So I, I think I think that's where context really, really plays a role, because if it's a, a high complex, uh, high risk and, and potentially high ticket item, that thought process starts way earlier as a, in the back of the consumer's mind. Right. So if I'm going to buy a car or a couch uh, versus buying a pack of gum, I follow completely different processes in my mind. And, and the car shopping process probably starts months before I actually step into a, a dealership, you know, maybe three, four months. So I think we have to really consider the the context and scenario of the people that we're trying to serve, um, whether it's in the B2B or B2C um, market, and, and understand, you know, what is the journey that people have to travel to buy that specific product? So if you're selling a B2B product, you know, how well do you know the people that you're selling to? How well do you know their customer journey? What are the questions that they're asking along the way? Are they buying this as part of a earlier? And if they are, then who makes that final call? And how long does it take to make that final call? So I think that's where really understanding our personas and understanding their buying journey, personalize the messages as we try to get them closer to buying. That's where all of those things can play a role and help us help us um, really serve people in the way that they, that they, that they really need versus how we want to sell to them. Yeah, but certainly, I mean, it does take time. It does, does take. I just take effort to reach out to people. And, you know, the other thing I noticed is 
Um, I, I read the thing the other day. Let's see who was it? I think it was Brian Dean who had an article or or a study on the the highest performing B two B blog posts have visits. That sounds really low, but um, if they're all relevant, it's not low at all, right? Because I mean, if I reach forty nine relevant people, it's 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 not low at all. But how do we help people figure out that they're reaching the right people? that they need to keep going. I'll give you another example. So this is episode, I don't even know, 340, right? Something something like that. Wow. Uh, 340. But my first few episodes were horrible. Nobody listened to them, not even my mom. So I can't even make that joke about my mom listens to my podcast or whatever, right? She doesn't care. Um, I think we have good conversations on the phone, but... Um, you know, I've gotten better. I got a light. I got a microphone. I'm actually thinking of moving the, the camera back there and it has a wider shot. We'll see. We'll try that on the one at 105 today. If you're watching this live, we're coming back. We're talking about state of email marketing with manifest. So please join, join us then if, if you're watching it live. And of course it's later, but how do we understand, how do we get into that model of faced functionality, faced rollout, and then the grit to just keep going. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you and I, I doubt your first few episodes were horrible, but but I, I think you're absolutely right. We we tend to be obsessed with re- trying to reach everybody and trying to get that quick success. And and I think we have what we have to recognize is that we don't have to do that, especially in today's digital landscape. It really does favor specificity. It really does favor the idea of the smallest viable audience. It really does favor all of these basic fundamental things that we instinctively know to be true, but we're pressured to chase the numbers, to chase that quick overnight success. Um, but it does take time. So I think what we need to do is focus on the, the reaching the right people, whether it's 10, 20, or 100, but focus reaching the right people versus reaching everybody uh, because whatever we're selling is not for everyone and if we reach the right 10 people then they're going to do the rest of the work if we serve them well they're going to spread the gospel for us uh, there's a, in the book I talk about the, the gospel according to brand advocates and the importance of prioritizing your brand advocates and really showing up for the people who need to hear from you and not necessarily trying to reach everybody on the planet. Um, so, so I think, I think that's the, the idea is to, is to focus on a, on a narrow set of people. Um, and, and if, if we're reaching them, we'll know because the market will provide the feedback. We'll see from their interaction, from the engagement levels uh, that we are reaching the right people. Yeah, and it's just an, it's an interesting thing, and uh, and also how do we uh, how do we optimize our content further um, to to reach some of those people? But uh, thank you for saying that. My first few episodes didn't didn't suck; they were pretty bad. It was just me talking. That's another thing when it comes to content creation. Pull in other experts, you know, other experts from the field. So, for example, my first episodes. Part of the reason they were not that great. Is because it was just me talking. And I've had some good episodes in the meantime where it was just me talking. Um, but it's so much better when I have experts like you on. They can talk about the different strategies and, and whatever. So what happens if my content mapping goes wrong? And how do I know that it went wrong? 
So any, I don't know who said this, but, but I love this expression that anything worth doing well is worth sucking at, at first. So I think that it's, it's perfectly fine to have, to, to stumble out of the gate with your content mapping. But the good news is that it's a, it's a constant process. It's a process that um, you have to continually work on. It's a journey. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not a one-time activity. So you can always go back and tweak stuff. And when it comes to content mapping, this, the easiest way to get started is to just pick one. Pick one persona, one member of the audience that you're trying to reach and, and really try to map your content to that, to that specific persona and, and then measure along the way. So you'll see your engagement levels uh, and, and your your interaction levels go up if you're reaching the right people. You'll see conversion levels go up if you're reaching the right people. But if you're not, go back and remap it. Make sure that you understand the kind of content that they need and try to create more of that content for them going forward. So I, I think it's just, it's just about paying attention to to the to the data signals that's coming in from your audience. Um, whether it's it's page views on your website, social media engagement, um, or email click-throughs and conversion rate, just creating uh, different kinds of content to try to meet their needs. Absolutely, and I'm going to come back on screen in a minute, Henry. I want your yeah. honest yeah. opinion. I'm not yeah. going to. There's going to be a surprise for everybody watching. So I already. So this is we talked about building things as we go. So we're live on the air here, and I'm fiddling with my setup. How about that? So let's see. This is my yeah. first try. You you were not. It took you. You were done a little quicker than I anticipated. But this. So I moved the camera back behind the light. I'm not quite sure I like it yet, but I think I like how it's further back. Maybe I need to move it a little higher. But what do you think if I just show the camera a little bit further back? I think it looks good. See, this is and this is the real stuff. We have to build as we go. We we can't be perfect out of the gate. So um, I love it. I love it. I, I I was fascinated with your setup when we started. Uh, you know, because it's this is this is um, it's it's mind blowing how you have all of this set up and you're streaming on multiple platforms at the same time. It's it's brilliant. So I'm not. Thank you so much. I'm not sure I like this exact setup. Maybe I got to move the camera a little closer or move the. The, the the light back. I don't have a thing. Maybe I do where I can put the camera in be, in between the light. Uh, maybe I do have that actually. Um, just didn't set it up. So definitely, okay. guys. My point is, first of all, I do want to work on how it looks. Right? What's my setup? What's going to work? What's not going to work? Um, and the camera now is it's quite a way away. It's actually on the window window uh, sill there. And then you know I can't I can't actually reach it. Like look, that's how far I am away from that camera now. But our point is, or my point at least, is try things, see what's working, see what doesn't work, build it as you go, try to reach the right audience. And I love the comment, Henry, about, um, you know, it's okay to stumble, and but but you need the right teams to allow you to stumble, right? You can't just have uh, people pick you apart every time you make a mistake. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, th there's a story that, that starts the book and it was actually the aha moment where, you know, you're in a client meeting and you're sort of presenting this brilliant idea and everyone is excited about it. But then the client says, no, this isn't what we're, what we're trying to do because it doesn't resonate with the right audience. 
So you create this beautiful piece of content, everybody does their job, and then the client says, no, this is not what we need. So I think you can, you can work, uh, and that's where people have to be honest with themselves and say, you know, are we, are we just creating a beautiful piece of content or are we creating something that's actually going to serve the audience? Uh, and that's where getting those fresh perspectives, you know, like you said, collaborating with others, getting their input, um, reaching across the hall, really, not just in the marketing space, but reaching across to sales, reaching across to your customer experience people, the people who are customer facing, and 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 asking them, you know, based on based on what you know, based on your experience and expertise, are we creating the right content for the right people in their moment of need? So I think it's content is always a collaborative process. And if you reach across and, and you get different perspectives from different members of the, of, the, of the organization or different members of your team, you're going to start to unlock uh, the, the real power of content you know, to, to serve the people that you're trying to reach. So, and, and absolutely, I'm a big fan of collaboration. And I, I say it over and over. I argue and I debate like I'm right and I listen like I'm wrong. And I would really recommend everybody to do that. You know, um, have an opinion, bring up your ideas, but also listen like you're like you're wrong. And certainly, um, but this is a two way street. And the other day, I think it was um, uh, Margie uh, when Agan when she was on the show, uh, centerboard-marketing.com, and um, you know, sales. And what I'm saying is, you should collaborate with everybody. But people need to understand what is their role, what's their expertise, what's their whatever, right? So so when people come up to me and they try to give me an opinion on something that they don't know anything about, you know, everybody needs to just kind of relax, take a chill pill, be humble. Chill pill might be too strong, but you know what I mean? And just offer, you know, use the right language. And, and there are some things, for example, one of my trigger words, and I know it, is when people say, well, I'm going to push back consciously, but I am. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll push back too. They haven't even said anything, right? There is ways to be more collaborative, in my opinion. You say, hey, how about this? How about that? What do you think of this? I thought about that. Um, that doesn't mean everybody always has to agree, but at the end of the day, you know, use that right language. Um Henry, it was great to have you on the show. Good luck with the book. When did it come out again? Thank you. So the book launched on January 5th. Um, it's available both in paperback and Kindle. Fantastic. I read a quick read. Uh, take a look if you want to learn. Get started. Get going, you know, so implement the things you see in the book. Henry, it was my pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for sharing your insight. Really appreciate you. It was an honor to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. Until next time. I'm currently accepting requests for future virtual and on-site keynotes and workshops. In 2020 alone, I've spoken in Singapore and Istanbul, virtually, of course, thanks COVID. I can't wait to get back on the road, and if we still can't get on the road in 2021, I would be happy to speak at your event virtually. Please reach out to me, ctrap at gmail.com or authenticstorytelling.net.